All right, well, let me pray, and we're going to dive into a new series. And in light of my grandfather passing away this week, I thought it'd be appropriate a message on joy through circumstances. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your love. Thank you for the word of God, that regardless of how we feel, our moods, what we're going through in life, if we can open up this word and if we can read, we can hear the voice of God. And now as the, the things that you've given to my heart, I pray your mercy, your grace, your anointing upon the words that I share. Father, that it would bless my friends here. But beyond that, supernaturally, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you want to speak to every heart here this morning. So in this time, Father, we thank you that you want to speak to your children. Fill us up with your love. Fill us with your voice. Give us what we need here this morning. We love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, several years ago, during uh, Christmas time, my family and I got to go to a big event in Balboa Park, San Diego. And Balboa Park is not some dinky little park, you know, it's filled with museums and stages galore. And, you know, our, our Foursquare founder, Amy Sithel McPherson, actually did a massive revival with tens of thousands of people there and crazy miracles that happened. It was, it was amazing. But this uh, event, it was filled with live Christmas music. It was filled with all the museums being free and open to the public. Um, there were vendors galore, both people selling stuff and the food vendors. Ooh, I had me some pork belly truffle fries with melted brie on top. Good Lord. Mwah, right? And so we brought some of our closest friends and just enjoyed a night where there was tens of thousands of people there and had, a, had fun, had a lot of laughs, ate too much stuff, you know. And then finally on our way out, um, the, the event was so massive that we had to park like three miles away and get shuttled in. So we're headed back to the shuttle buses. And as we're headed back there, I see a familiar sight that I really don't appreciate. And they're people with big old picket signs and bullhorns that I like to call the Turner Burn people. You know what I'm talking about, the Turner Burn people? They have signs that say, repent or you're going to burn in hell, and God hates blankety-blank sinners, you know, and they're just out there. They don't want to talk to people. They feel like it's their God-given duty to defend God and to also give a bold, stark statement to the world, and that's evangelism to them. And I don't appreciate it too much uh, just because uh, there's a lot of anger, a lot of hatred sometimes in these uh, picket signs and so forth. I'm all for peaceful protests and, and demonstrating God's love, uh, but not in this way, you know, and where there's judgment and, and hatred and anger even. And I, I've been at places before where we have like a prayer tent set up in a street fair. And as we're sharing and talking and so forth, these turn to burn people would step right in front of my tent and start preaching a message on false prophets. And then I would go up to them like, hey, sir, could we have a conversation? And they try to act like I wasn't there. <laughs> and I'm like, hello, you can see me. You know, and they just completely ignored me. And as I'm walking by this group of protesters, there are several other people, don't know if they're believers or not. They say, oh, whatever happened to Jesus loving the world? Whatever happened to grace, whatever, and they're literally preaching at these street preachers messages of love and of hope and of grace, and it broke my heart. You know, it didn't break my heart that there was, you know, animosity. It broke my heart because once again, here are a group of people demonstrating what Christians should not be like, giving an improper demonstration of who Christians are, and that's not what we're called to be. As we mentioned several times this morning, we are called to love we are called to be an extension of God's heart on earth as it is in heaven. We are called children of God, ambassadors of Christ, to express his love and power all around us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, 
It says that we are salt and light of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? If Christians lose their love, if Christians lose their joy, you know, what good can we be for the kingdom of God? And so today we're starting a brand new series, and I, I had one direction I was going, and I changed it because I thought it's Christmas time. Jesus brought joy into this world. Jesus brought hope into this world. He brought peace into this world. And so for the next couple weeks, I want to look at some of my favorite messianic psalms, Psalm 2, 22, and 110, and look at the different gifts that is foretold that Jesus would bring to the world. It's a little cheesy, but we know the line, right? The greatest Christmas present of all is God's presence, right? That's what we told my son this morning on the way here. Um, he says, so what am I getting for Christmas? I'm like, isn't the presence of your parents enough of a present this year? He's like, no. <laughs> but Jesus, when he came, he brought joy into the world when he was born. I bring you good news of great joy. He brought joy into the world. And so each week I want to look at a messianic psalm and the gift that Jesus brought to this world. And today we're going to look at Psalm 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to the second Psalm. And I feel like the message God has put on my heart this morning is going to be a challenging one. I've talked a lot about joy and hope and all these things, but I think today there's going to be some challenges that I hope you're, you're up for. And I'll explain more after we read uh, chapter 2, which here is only 12 verses. So we're going to read uh, the Psalm in its entirety. And again, as always, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, Psalm number two. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So this is almost in a prophecy of the time when Jesus would be on earth that the governments and the culture and so forth would be wicked. They'd be against God. It's safe to say that these prophecies are coming true in the sense that we're living in some dark days. We're living in some end times. We're living in some wickedness nowadays. And so it's, it's, it's giving us a heads up. Don't, don't be caught off guard when you see the world hating God, mocking you, cultures that are against God and himself. But then comes verse 4. I love this verse. He, the Father who sits in the heavens, laughs and scoffs at them. And it's not like God is, is scoffing and, and being evil intent there. It says that he laughs on the throne. And I, I've done this experiment in youth ministry and with children's ministry before. I had everybody close their eyes and say, picture God in heaven on the throne. What do you see? And most people would see this. Just stoic face, straight face, sometimes angry. But I love that Psalm 2 tells us that the Father who sits in heaven laughs. There's a smile on his face. He rejoices over us. He sings over us. God is in a good mood, in my opinion. Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, his holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. And I love how in the New American Standard, they capitalize when they say references to him or he, and it's in reference to God. And so here, the U is capitalized, the my is capitalized, and the S is capitalized. This is the Father speaking of Jesus, the Son. Verse 8, ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, 
and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. And check this out, verse 11. And rejoice with trembling. That means take joy seriously. Take joy seriously. Do homage to the sun and do not become angry and you will perish for this way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. And so we see that this, this prophecy, this messianic psalm is talking about the future of cultures being against God, but that we need to be as he is in heaven, who he's laughing and we can rejoice with great trembling. So there is joy that we need to have, joy. And here's the thing. I said there's a challenging word today, and I'm going to say a statement right now, and some of y'all are going to be, amen, Pastor Rudy, that's a good word. And others are going to be, hmm, you're going to have to convince me on that one, all right? So I just ask that before I say the statement, which is the main point of my sermon today, before I say the statement, this morning, have an open heart, have an open mind. Because I felt I heard this from the Lord, and this is what I felt him say to me. That as a Christian, joy is not optional. As a believer in the faith, joy is not optional. We see in, in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is just one verse, but if this verse is saying what the kingdom of God is and is like, that means that one-third of the kingdom of God is joy. And are we walking one-third in our lives in the presence of God and in his joy? And Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, brought joy into this world. He gave us the reason to have a hope, the reason to have joy, his presence with us. Psalm 1611, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. Now, let me ask you a question. Where's God's presence? Here, there, everywhere, right? Psalm 139 says, where can I flee your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? I can go here and you are there. I can even make my bed in hell and you are still there. So if God's presence is everywhere, he's omnipresent, that means that there is the opportunity for manifest joy in every situation in every place that we will find ourselves. James 1, 2, though, it says that even in our time of crisis and circumstances, we can have joy. James 1, 2, I'm still figuring this out in my life, and for some of us, it will take a lifetime to figure out, consider it all joy. Some versions say consider it pure joy. Pure just means 100%. You can be pure evil. It could be pure water. One element, one element. So when your hearts are pure, that means that you have one element, one thing that you're after, and that is the face of God. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kind. And we, we have these loving commandments of rejoicing even though life is hard. And the king of all of it, the champion of rejoicing is uh, Apostle Paul. And this is not in your notes, and I didn't give this to Jonathan and the team up there, but I want to read to you real quickly um, just a few verses here from Philippians 2. Now, we just did a series on Philippians and talked about the power of rejoicing and Paul, who was in a Roman prison, to talk about rejoicing over 18 times is phenomenal. But in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
There's another commandment that may take a lifetime to figure out how to do as well. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among who you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Do we have a responsibility as a believer to give the joy that comes from God supernaturally, the gift of the Spirit? We have a responsibility to give this away. So why do I say that Joy for the believer is not optional. Well, for many reasons. Number one is that God gave us joy. And if God gives you something, it's expected to walk in it. It's expected to manifest that. It's a fruit of the spirit. Meaning if you call yourself a spirit-filled believer, the natural byproduct of abiding in the vine and being filled with the spirit is that it will produce love, peace, joy, kindness, and all these wonderful things that we have in the spirit. Joy is something that is given not only to make us feel better, but joy is given as a motivator. Joy is given for a blessing onto others. As Abraham was uh, declared over, you will be blessed to be a blessing onto other people. I mean, Jesus, I say this all the time, Hebrews 12, 2, it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. So when Jesus was so anxious, he was bleeding sweat, drops of sweat, basically, and saying, Father, if there's any other way but not my will, yours be done, it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross. If I do this, murdered in this way, if I go through this, all of humanity will have access again to the Father, and there will be salvation and restoration and transformation, and it was for the joy set before him he can endure the cross. Now, we also see if the kingdom of God is joy, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told us in the prayer, if you want to pray, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If there's no sorrows in heaven, we want to see joy manifested here on earth as it is in heaven. And joy is our, our witness. Joy is our witness. It's such an evangelistic tool. Have you ever gone through something that should have shattered you and instead you had a peace? and you carried a joy. And somebody said, I don't know what you're on, but how did you go through that and you still have joy? You still have some type of a happiness. It attracts people who don't have the hope that you and I have, who don't have a joy that's supernatural. When they see it manifested in other people, it attracts them. They say, if, if you want to grow a church, just catch fire for God and people will come watch you burn. If you want to win the lost, express God's love and his power. Be joyful and it will attract other people in salvation. It's a way to bless other people, bottom line. I remember our best friends one time called us after we had gone through one of the most difficult years of our lives, 2017, and faced betrayal from a pastor, and you guys all know the story. Uh, our friends called us, and they had a new job with a boss from hell. I mean, this boss was nothing short of demonic. So much so, it, it caused her so much suffering that she ended up seeing therapy. So she came up to me and she said, you've gone through betrayal and all this hurt and you, Nikki and Gabe have taken the high road and everything and you kept your joy. You guys still laugh. You, you still have peace. 
what advice would you give me? And I looked at her and literally said, wow, that's a great question. Let me give you the quick version, and then I'm going to go to the Lord and get some revelation because that's a loaded question, and I want to go on that journey. And so I said, well, to start off, I like to focus on God, period. And if somebody has hurt me, if there's been some type of injustice, if there's been a betrayal, I don't want to focus on the injustice. I want to focus on God, who is my vindicator, who is the judge of all the evil that is out there. He can do a much better job than I can on everything. So I want to focus on him. And what helps me to focus on him and not focus on the injustice is that I cannot be upset or offended with people doing the things of their nature. If you're a liar and all you do is lie and you lie to me, why am I going to get upset? Liars lie. If, if you're mean, you're just a mean-hearted person and you're mean to me, why am I going to be upset over that? You're a mean person. You're being mean to me. I got to see beyond that. And that's what we ask for the grace of God, to have his eyes, to see beyond the offense and to see the heart of a person that doesn't know their identity in Christ. And they're hurt, therefore they're hurting other people. Hurt people hurt people. And so I, I told her that, but then I, I took it a step further and I, I said, wow, God, I, I got through that by your grace. Nikki and I were able to laugh and our marriage didn't fall apart because of all that we went through. I want to know how to bless other people with encouragement. So what happened? And I went on this journey of discovering some lessons through uh, the pain, some lessons that God taught me that I want to share with us in just a few minutes here. But I do want to read. We're going to do a lot of scripture this morning. <laughs> I am sorry, not sorry, because uh, it is the word of God. But um, we're going to go to uh, John chapter 17, if you have your Bibles. This one will be up on the, uh, the screens there. John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer that Jesus gives right before he is going to go to the crucifixion and his resurrection. And I want to read verses 13 through 19. And this is the <laughs> encouragement that Jesus gives to his disciples. Again, that's John chapter 17, verse 13. But now I come to you in these things. I speak in the world so that you may have my joy and made full in themselves. Isn't that amazing that joy is not something we have to attain? It's not something we have to work for. Jesus says, it's my joy to freely give. And just like Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, my peace. It's, it, you can't understand it. He's doing the same with, with joy. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So if you got some haters in your life, it's because Jesus is in your heart. Bottom line, the world's not going to like you, and we got to get used to that. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves may be sanctified in truth. Um, I'll start right, stop right there. This is so interesting to me because Jesus, as, we, as Joyce said, he knows all centuries. He knows what everybody's going to go through. So Jesus had the knowledge that when he was about to leave and bring the blessing of the Holy Spirit, he was going to leave his disciples to start the church and to face persecution. He knew they would all die for their faith. He knew that they would face persecution. He knew that they would be famished and whipped and put in chains and shipwrecked and all the things that they went through. And Jesus declares here in his prayer, I'm not going to take them from that. 
In fact, I'm going to send them into that. I'm just going to keep them from the evil one. And for a long time, I couldn't figure out how a good God would allow his children to remain in a place of pain and suffering. You know, for, for my son, as an example, uh, he is probably still to this day, even though he's two inches taller than me and 15 years old, is deathly afraid of needles. I mean, shots at the doctor, forget about it. I remember one time he hurt himself uh, when he was younger, hurt himself at hockey practice, did something to his knee. So we brought him into the doctor to get it checked out. The knee turned out just fine. But the, the nurse says, oh, you know, he, he could use the flu shot right about now. And you just see Gabriel turn pale. And he's just terrified. He started sweating. And I looked at the, the nurse and I said, thanks so much. But, you know, we've been healthy and we, we don't do the flu shot stuff and so forth. And then his eyes opened and he looked at me like, you are the greatest father on planet Earth. Thank you. I can't bear the thought of my son in fear and pain over getting a shot at the doctor. How much more Jesus sending his children into the world where they are going to face a certain death. It didn't make sense to me. And, and I, I asked the Lord and I asked the Lord. And what I am confident in is that God will never lead you into something that he has not fully equipped you to have the victory. If he wouldn't allow the Israelites to go the 11-day journey to the promised land because they would see war and they've never seen war, they would see giants and they've never seen giants, he took them another way. He will only send you into something that you have been equipped to handle. And so he sent these disciples into the world because they carried the answer. You and I are carriers of the answer. The answer is Jesus. We can carry the fruit of the Spirit and the blessings that come from heaven to carry it into the world. Firefighters don't run away from fires. They go into burning buildings. You don't see a firefighter show up and an apartment is on fire and they say, oh, ooh, that's kind of hot. No, thank you. And leave. That is their design. They are trained to do so. Same with the Christian. Why are we trying to avoid problems and situations when we carry the answer? when we have supernatural discernment from heaven, when we have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, when we have the extension of love and service and support that we can give that only comes from the Father on high, why do we avoid these things instead of saying, all right, let's go. Something good is going to come out of this. Watch the testimony of what the Lord can do. We have the answer. And there's a verse that I don't necessarily like that I want to share to give a premise to uh, the lessons I want to share this morning. And that psalm, that scripture is 119, verse 71. Does anybody know that one? 119, verse 71. It says, it was good that I was afflicted, that I may learn the statues of God. Ooh, I don't like that one. I'll obey it. I'll follow it, but I don't like it. <laughs> but it says, it was good that I went through something that I could learn. I don't believe that God wants to throw problems into our direction. We don't need problems to get to the presence of God. But man, if the enemy throws something our way, can we benefit from what the Lord's going to teach us, what he's going to do, how he's going to equip us in the middle of that storm, in that suffering. And so as I went through that bad season, one of the last biggest seasons I've been through in my life, I said, God, I want to learn here. Teach me. I want encouragement. I want to pass this along. So I made a list of about seven lessons. And I'm not going to keep us here very long, so don't worry. I'm going to share just a few of the lessons that God has given to me. And the first, if you're taking notes, it won't be on the screens. It's not in your bulletins. But if you like to take notes, the first lesson God taught me was that I need to surrender in the suffering. I need to surrender in the suffering. I don't need to suffer for suffer's sake, for suffering's sake. I need to surrender in the suffering. Now, imagine, if you will, hypothetical situation that in the middle of the night, 
you hear a door being kicked in and armed intruders come into your apartment, right? You get on the phone to call 911, even though I know this is Texas and some of us don't call 911. We call Smith & Wesson, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but hypothetically speaking, let's say we call 911, there's intruders in your house, you're locked in your, your bathroom, and you're talking to the operator, 911, and say, hey, can you send some police? Somebody broke into my house. And she says, sure, she's typing away. And she goes, oh, well, you know, the officer that's assigned to your area, ooh, you know, he had a bad day today. And um, it's saying here, he just, he just let me know. He, he doesn't feel like it, so he's not going to come. It's a crazy situation, but would that be a good thing? No. Would that officer be fired? Yes. And so just because you as a police officer on duty, on the clock, has a bad mood and you're not feeling good, does not mean that you are excused from your duty. So here comes the stinger, family. We, as Christians, why do we have the license to think that when we go through a trial or a bad circumstance, that we have the freedom to not obey God? that we have the freedom not to do our duty of carrying joy and peace and strength and encouragement to the world around us? Why do we think that when we go through something bad, we can just sit on our hands and say, well, I'm going through something bad, so I don't have to serve and I don't have to give and I don't have to love others and I can just sulk and I can suffer and I can be me? (laughs) We read in the scriptures so many examples of how people, even though they were imprisoned or shipwrecked or beaten or thrown into the fire, could still keep their eyes on God. And I believe that hasn't changed all these centuries later. In fact, in Psalm 119, verse 71, it says, it was good that I could be afflicted so that I can learn your statues. In the Hebrew, that word statues actually means an assignment or an appointment. So I'm going through this, but God, you want to teach me something. God, you have something for me. You want me to participate with you to bring about the freedom, the miracle, the blessing, whatever it is that's going to be on the other side of this trial. Let me read to you some more scripture this morning. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians, if I can find it here. Actually, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is really good too. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Again, that's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 and 4, if you just want to take notes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that, ooh, if you ever want to do a really good study in the Bible, look up every time the Bible says, so that. There's some great stuff in there. You know, like when he talks about the Israelites, he brought them out from in order to bring them into. It's a transitional phrase, and I love it. So who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as, as Marsha said, how can I love other people? It's supernatural because the love that God has given to me, I can give to other people. The comfort that God gave to me in the middle of my storm now is mine and I can give to somebody else. It's the extension of God's hand. And I love that, that even in, in, in suffering, it's not forever. It's not going to last forever. And time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds, but I can trust that God has a plan, and I'm not going to be stuck in this situation forever. In fact, it's in, in 1 Peter 5, which is a great chapter. In verse 7, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But in that chapter, it says that you will suffer for a little while but then the God of all grace will strengthen you and establish you. So it's not going to last forever. So in my suffering, I don't want to fall apart. 
Like Andrew Womack says, you know, don't fall apart like a $2 suitcase, you know. I want to hold it together because I have the God of the universe who is there and ready for me. And so it's not going to last forever. And God, I want my eyes on you to learn the assignment, to learn what it is that you're trying to teach me. And uh, as Joyce mentioned and many others, we're very analytical and intellectual, and we like reason and logic and so forth. And in a lot of my trials, I try to figure things out all the time. And one of the greatest blessings that God ever gave me was this here. The second lesson he gave me was, in my trial, I don't need a reason for my suffering. I need a revelation. I don't need a reason. I need a revelation. So many times I would cry out, why, God? Why? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I pay my bills? God, why do I have to feel this way? Why do I have this pain in my life? What did I ever do to deserve this? Did I do something bad? What's going on here? I just wanted to make sense of everything. But there came a point in my life where I just stopped asking why, and I started asking what. What would you like me to do, God? What are you trying to teach? And and revelation is so powerful because information, information is a good thing. It'll help you see. But revelation changes the way that you see. Because you can have a situation and you could see the reason behind that situation or you through revelation can get a new perspective and it changes your motives and your desires so that you can affect that situation. It changes the way that you think. And I would rather have revelation than information because revelation is transformative in nature. And suffering in itself is just a distraction from the enemy. Why would there be trials and circumstances The world hates you. God has a calling on your life. God has an assignment for you. You want to obey the will of God for your life here on earth. And so the enemy's not going to be happy with that. So here comes suffering and pain and sickness and all these other things to distract you. The only tool the enemy has is his mouth. He's been defeated. He's been disarmed. All he can do is speak and influence you. So he's going to use distraction to get your eyes off of Jesus and onto you and your problems so that you become paralyzed in your faith. We have to get past distraction. I remember when I first planted my church, I was looking around and playing around with different jobs. I mean, I signed up to be an Amazon delivery driver, worst thing ever. God bless Amazon delivery drivers. They got a tough job. It's crazy. It's chaotic. The dogs bite you. It's not fun, right? So I lasted two days there, and I hopped around, and finally I found a great job, a facility that made medical devices and sports medicine devices, and there were some, um, what do you call it, uh, where the public can't know, I'm blanking on the word, confidential uh, information that's in there and equipment that's not yet released to the public. So we couldn't have cell phones inside of the warehouse. So you don't have a cell phone, you don't have your podcast, you don't have your YouTubes, you don't have your music. So nine hours I was working, manual labor. I wasn't in a computer, I wasn't talking to people, I was fixing stuff, cleaning stuff, nine hours. So I said, okay, you know, I I love silence. That, that, that builds me up. I love silence. I'm not a big extrovert. I love silence. Nine hours. Oh, Father, I'm going to pray all day. I'm going to worship you all day. I'm going to just meditate. No, no, no. So 6.30 a.m. comes. I clock in within five minutes. I'm thinking, did I pay that bill? Huh. Oh, wait, what am I going to do for dinner tonight? Five minutes. So at eight hours and 55 minutes to go, I'm like, ooh, this ain't going to work, God. This is not going to work. And thank God they allow us tablets with no cameras, and I could listen to the word of God. But I just remember having this conversation scared to death, like, God, nine hours, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. I thought I could pray. I couldn't even last five minutes. Help, what am I going to do? And I just remember, I'll never forget, I was on stair number three of a staircase that wrapped around, and God spoke to my heart and said, 
you will only connect by that which you are consumed by. When you become consumed by me, your thoughts won't drift to what you are consumed on right now. Connection comes by being completely consumed with him and not being distracted. You know, Moses, he spent three different seasons of his life in 40-year chunks of time, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years running away in fear, and 40 years listening to God, bringing the Israelites out and being in the wilderness for 40 years. But even though God said, I have a promise for you of the land flowing with milk and honey, Moses wasn't concerned about the promise. He was concerned about the presence because he had three mountaintop encounters in the Shekinah glory. And on one time, he's up there and he says, God, if your presence doesn't go before us, don't take us from here. He spoke with God. He wanted the presence. He didn't care about the promise. The promise was God's job. His job was to focus on the presence. And it was funny because the Israelites, they had problems and issues and trials, and they were distracted. So what did they do? They, they cried out to God, and Moses went up to the mountain, and five minutes later, they're making a golden calf and saying, there's our new God, just that quickly. Because to them, they couldn't reason that we have a problem, we're suffering, we're talking to God, God's not talking to us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have a problem and I talk to God, I want God to talk to me. But he wasn't doing that. God was, though, talking. He wasn't talking to the Israelites. They were complainers, mumblers, grumblers. He was talking to Moses. So just because you don't feel like God is talking to you about your situation don't mean he ain't working. And we sang it this morning. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop work. He's always working. He's always working. He's always moving. And we can have trust in a faithful God. But I don't need a reason. I don't care why I'm suffering. It's not you, God. It's the devil. So I'm just looking to you to give me the revelation so that I can carry forth. I want to leave with something, period. I don't want to suffer for no reason. I want to leave with something. And the last lesson that I'll share with us today, there'll be many more later, but the last lesson today is I don't need to complain. I need to grow my capacity. When I'm suffering, when I go through a trial, I don't need to complain. I need to grow my capacity. Part of being in a trial is that you get stretched and you grow. I love that saying, whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Amen. When I go through it, I'll be stronger. I'll be wiser. I'll be tougher coming out of this situation. I believe that. So we don't need to complain and go down. We need to grow our capacity and look upward. There's a story that a fighter pilot was up in the air cruising, and he saw a large rat that was now chewing at the wires of his instrument panel. Now, you know that the instrument panel for a pilot is like a second set of eyes. It's some serious business. So the pilot said, I'm not sure if I can get to the ground quick enough to stop this rat from chewing the wires. So what he did instead is he bent full force and went straight up. Because the higher he went up, he had an oxygen mask. That little rat did not. And it was very quickly that that rat was snuffed out and died. So rather than going down because of the problem to the level of the enemy, he went up higher in God, grew the capacity, and he saw that problem disappear. You know, if you, tr if you like to hike, don't know why somebody would. It's not my cup of tea. That's exercise for me. But if that's you're an outdoorsy person, amen. You know that on a mountain, there's an invisible line called a snake line. That means that once you get to a certain elevation, there's certain animals that can't thrive or live in that environment. It's desolate. So there's an old saying, people say, yes, as you grow in the Lord, you know, higher levels, higher devils. I don't believe that. I believe higher levels, no devils. Because the higher you get, the closer you get with God, the more revelation, the, the greater your capacity is stretched out, the more that you can do. And so suffering is going to happen. It's a promise that Jesus gave to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for problems. But he's promised it. 
He said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so my encouragement this morning is, you're going to face drama. You're going to face haters. You're going to face trials of all different kinds. Life is not going to be rosy and easy all the time. But I don't want to go into a trial just wanting to get over it, just wanting it gone, and complain, why me, Lord? I want to go into a trial thinking, God, you knew exactly this was going to happen. You want to show me something? You want to do something in me? And I'm going to leave with something here. The Israelites spent years in, in bondage and slavery. But when they left and God miraculously parted the waters and made a way, it says they plundered the Egyptians. We need to leave with something. So the joy that I have in my heart, my grandfather passing away, the trials that I'll face in life, I have the hope that I have supernatural joy that will sustain me, that I can be happy when I physically shouldn't be happy. And I'm going to walk away from this trial bigger, better, and ever because of what God can do in the middle of it. So, Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your word. Thank you, God, that though we are promised difficulties in this life, we are also promised the comfort, the support, the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for every one of my friends here today, and thank you for the journeys that you have them all on. And I pray, God, that as we leave this place here today, whether we're currently in a trial or not, whether we're happy or we're not, Father, we want to leave here today with the heightened sensitivity to your presence and in intimacy with you. As we are navigating through the holidays, we know it's difficult for some. We know there's greater things that happen because family are getting together and so much that we have to navigate, God. We know we're still walking through a pandemic and jobs and inflation and so much that's happening around our world. But God, you put us here for such a time as this, filled with the Holy Spirit, carriers of your presence and peace. Help us, God, through your grace and your mercy, help us to keep our eyes focused on heaven. Help us to tap into the supernatural help we have in joy, hope, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Be with us. May you protect us and guide us as we go about a new week, God. May you speak to us and use us in powerful ways. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless y'all. Have a wonderful Sunday and have a great week.